Welcome back to Fully Equipped. It's the two amigos, Jay Wall, Uncle Gene, as usual. What could go wrong? Uncle Gene, how we doing? I am doing so well, my man. I, well, you can't see because you're listening. You have a new mic. I have a new microphone, courtesy of Coach. So I just want to say beforehand to all of my fans out there that say that <laughs> I don't have a voice for radio or that I sound like a stone college football jock who never can shows up please, for class. Can we please read this one again? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll, I'm going to have to find it. Well, but... let me let me let me just say I'll just finish. Fellas, ladies, this is as good as it's going to get. So, I'm hoping that this sounds a lot better and if it doesn't, coach, we got to invest in auto-tune. We got to like somehow or another figure out how to make my voice palatable because um it's uh it's a little rough for him out there. Yeah. So, a few weeks ago, we got what is arguably the greatest comment on social media it was so awesome it was so great so shout out uh, it's, it's talent spider but it's s-p-e-i-d-e-r who had this to say about gene's voice gene's voice is not radio friendly radio <laughs> friendly in quotation marks he sounds like a high college football jock who never shows up to class ironically his knowledge and insight is great for the pod <laughs> That was. I mean, the, that's the best backhand compliment end you period, ever it, We're done. That's nothing's no, beating that. Literal mic drop on that one. That I'm is like, a literal mic drop. And I'm and I'm like guilty as charged. I mean, I didn't play college football, but guilty as charged. I'm like, I'm not going to argue those points at all. So, <laughs> do you know? I've actually swear to God, this is true. I have been shushed in two bars for talking too loud. Not restaurants, bars. And people have come up to me and said, excuse me, we're trying to have a nice time over here. Can you lower your voice? And I'm like, we're at a bar. How the hell is that possible? So, you know, hey, it's an affliction. I, uh, What am I going to do? But with the shiny new microphone and Coach's Magic, hopefully this is modulated to you and coming across at an even pitch. Yeah. But actually, I haven't gotten any any emails recently, which makes me think slash hope that it's no longer an issue. But for a while, we were having problems with the, the volume. So one person's volume would be really low. And then the listener would, you know, you, you invariably just turn up the volume because it's like, oh, I can't hear that person. And then one of us would come through really loud. And so like you're splitting to the point where they're like, one person is so loud. The other is so quiet. I can't figure it out. Yeah. We, we were, we were in a, that was early on. So I think we fixed that, but well, we those, all those have shiny times. new microphones and Hey, uh, I think it's important to acknowledge and thank seriously and truly all of the people that tune in for this we are now around 10,000 per episode and that's pretty epic. And I just hat tip to everybody that tunes in and listens to it. And we greatly appreciate that. I know, even though we're, we're starting to become somewhat big time. I, I like to still think that we're, we're kind of flying under the radar. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't get arrested at a place. We're one so of those cool bands, you know. Name. Just a, just a handful of people know about them, but you know, we, we've we've got a we've got a cult following. I like to think we're like that. Yeah, we're like the indie band who hasn't made it yet. 
Yeah, whatever. <laughs> one of those bands that Gene's listen that Gene listens to. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, before we get into this week's topics, we want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our friends at Golf Pride and their wide array of grips. You know, the cool thing about Golf Pride for me, um, and this is coming from a guy who I've played the the Tour Velvet, which is, uh, I always use the word cheeseburger, but it is. It's like the cheeseburger of grips. I mean, it's impossible not to like a Tour Velvet. It, it's got a really like firm, but not too firm feel. And it's just, it's one of those grips. I mean, obviously it's the one that's played on Tour more than any other. And this is coming from a company that has, you know, 80 plus percent grip usage in the pro ranks, which is just astounding when you think about, you know, every other manufacturer in those different categories, they all have a, a, you know, a somewhat large share, but it's never close to 80%, which just goes to show you how dominant golf pride has been in the grip space. But in addition to the tour velvet, they have so many grips. I mean, you literally, if you had a certain preference, whether you like something that's going to be on the softer side, like a CPX, or maybe you're somebody that likes a little bit of a firmer feel, but just a touch of softness, you might find yourself in the MCC, which was John Rahm's grip of choice. Also the one that Rory McIlroy um, kind of put on the map. They have a, a literally a grip for everyone, as well as some of those options that once you start to get more familiar with their grips and more familiar with your game, maybe you're somebody who likes a reminder ridge back behind your grip. Now, instead of having to have your club builder throw one in there, which is not something that you can typically do on a grip, now they have the Tour Velvet Align with a built-in reminder ridge on the backside. So they literally have, like I said, a grip for everybody. Doesn't matter your preferences. You're going to be able to find it. And oh, by the way, if you don't have Golf Pride grips on your clubs, you're insane. Go fix that. And if you're going to go fix that, go to golfpride.com, enter the code fully equipped, and you're going to get free shipping. It's perfect. Again, thanks to Golf Pride for sponsoring fully equipped. And with that, let's get into this week's topics. Gene, we've got something fun coming. And I, I don't want to spill the beans completely because I want to make sure that we deploy this right. But we've just finished, we meaning you, I just finished <laughs> conducting iron testing, robotic iron testing. And just for those, those few people that listen to this podcast, because we are not that big, I, I want you to drop one little morsel of insight that you were able to glean from that data. I've been going through it. It's really fun. We're going to, after recording this week's pod, you and I are going to start kind of doing a deep dive on all the insights that we're able to see. But what's the one that stood out to you? Well, uh, correct me. It was 32 that we did, right? 32 different yes, irons. 32 okay. Different so irons. we did 32 different irons from all the major manufacturers, all seven irons, all with the same shaft, um, same club head same, speed, same, same speed. Ang angle of attack. So what we are going to provide to everyone listening, reading, watching, et cetera, is probably one of the most comprehensive guides for irons as far as performance. And I see it as a hugely valuable tool if you're looking for a new set of irons to tell you what category, but here's, here's the big number drop. Remember, 
same swing on the robot, same attack angle, same club head speed, 30 yards difference between the shortest and the longest. I'm not talking about a driver at 120 miles an hour. I'm talking about a seven iron at 82 miles an hour. We had from 155 to 185 total distance. That is massive. And what that means is there is an iron in there. If you're 78 years old and need every ounce of distance you can get, there's an iron in there that's going to maximize it. If you're swinging your seven iron at 100 miles an hour and you just need control, there's going to be a, a version for you and everything in between. And as, as you start disseminating this, and and providing this, it, it, I I I see it as a massively valuable um, piece of information for the golfing public to make really informed choices that allow them to get the biggest bang for their buck when it comes to a big purchase, a really big purchase, and um, it's information that you simply can't get anywhere else. Yeah, I think for me, just hearing you say that. The first question that came to mind, we and I can't take full credit for just coming up with this because we did discuss before we hopped on the pod, but it does make you wonder, all right, if there's a 30-yard difference between the shortest and the longest, I mean, there's got to be a difference in loft there. And if that's the case, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years about a seven iron isn't really a seven iron anymore. It really comes down to loft and, and your needs. But I think this sort of further confirms that like the numbers on your golf club, they, they don't, they don't really matter anymore. No, hundred percent. And it is, it's an antiquated system. It was really interesting. I think it was Ben Hogan might be mistaken. They came out with a loft based set of irons. And the problem was nobody knew what their, you know, other than hardcore sickos, nobody knew what, a loft-based system should look like. And so it didn't succeed in the marketplace because everybody has been so trained to see, you know, three through PW or four through PW. And, um, but the reality is if there's 30 yards at a seven iron, I mean, you know, expand this out when you get to a three iron and you can um, get fit read this, get this information because it's going to be critical for you to figure out where you are. And more importantly, how far do you want to hit your seven iron? Do you want to hit it 150? Do you want to hit it 180? You know, and, uh, it's all a function of control, accuracy, consistency, but by providing this information, we're going to do a massive service to the golfing public as a whole and give them the roadmap to, to start looking and going, well, I don't want, Oh, and we got off center hit data in addition to launch and spin. So you want to see what the most forgiving iron is. We're going to be able to show you that and, and show you versus a player's blade, which some of these blades drop 15, 17 yards off the toe and they're all heel concentrated. They're hardcore players clubs, but, and then there's the transition. And so we're going to be able to provide a lot of information that I think is really going to be um, useful and allow people to make really um, informed buying decisions. Yeah. And again, that's all we're trying to do here. Just 
trying to provide you with the insights to go and make an informed decision when you're going to be testing, not to pick a club for you to buy, but to give you three or four different options. The one insight that I would say that, that did stick out to me, PXG has a lot of good stuff this year, Gene. And maybe that's not a surprise to some people, but it seems like even since PXG first introduced their, their 0311, the original 0311 irons, they were really good. They had the crazy high price tag. They've, been to, they've sort of been the butt of a lot of jokes. And some of that maybe is self-inflicted because of the advertisements that you see with Bob Parsons, you know, his booming voice and it, you know, they're everywhere during the telecasts that I think we forget that they make really good golf equipment, but they had some crazy good irons that gen six product from them, from the, the P version to the XP. It, it's, it was seriously impressive, at least based on the initial numbers that I saw. Uh, agree hundred percent, hundred percent. So anyway, be on the lookout for more insights on our robotic iron testing on golf.com. I'm sure we're going to do a pod here coming up where we'll kind of get into some of those additional insights for those that maybe don't check out golf.com on a regular basis, but do listen to the Fluke podcast. So again, be on the lookout for that. All right. So Gene, I didn't know if you were aware of this or not, but it's NFL draft season. I am. I know you're excited. You're probably wondering why the hell are you talking about the NFL draft on a golf women podcast? There's a reason we're going to get to it. We may or may not have a certain gunslinger who was recently drafted in the NFL draft pretty high. He's a West coast guy. Gene probably, probably knows him. We have him on the pod this week, but the reason I'm talking about the NFL draft is because I think this is a good opportunity, Gene, for us to do our own club draft. And, you know, RB is not here. For those who missed last week's pod, RB is over in Scotland right now. Damn him. He had a chance to play the old course. I think he was the last tee time of the day when he played. And which he is went, just amazing. He went to my restaurant recommendation in Edinburgh. The, he, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then yeah, uh, yeah. And he played Crail. So I've been following him he on Instagram. Play Crail. Yeah. I'm so jealous. I, I've, been, I've been living vicariously through him this week as, as he and his wife are over there, just the two of them, sans kids, which is wow. amazing. Just a chance to, to kind of hang out together, reconnect, and maybe play a little bit of golf, see that's, the sights and the sounds. That's they awesome. sound like they're having a great time in Edinburgh. So anyway, he's probably kicking himself for missing the club draft that we're about to have, but probably not too much just based on his, his current location. But I, for you and for me, I want to just go through quickly and do a club draft from driver down to putter. I threw in a golf ball just for the hell of it. But I want to see if we have any similarities in the clubs that we picked. Most but likely not. <laughs> the, yeah. These don't have to be the you know most popular clubs. It's just your personal favorite. If you had to do a club draft and these are the clubs that you're picking and throwing in the bag for your next round, they're historical. doesn't have to be from a certain era, but you got to pick one from each category. So being the nice guy that I am, I'm going to let you go first. Well, you pick let, your first. You pick your first driver, then I'll pick a driver, and then we'll just keep going. Okay, so let me let me say firsthand, it's probably a good thing that RB is not here for this in relation to my picks because I probably would test his Canadian civility and niceness on this one because <laughs> I know RB is a uh, club historian and. 
I'm not a sentimentalist when it comes to golf equipment. I don't look at, you know, oh, in 1992 XYZ, I, I really don't give a rat's ass. All I care about is function. I appreciate form, but it's function. Does it perform or not? So it's kind of like my approach to music. Every once in a while, I like to listen to old music, but I like to listen to new music to keep it driving forward. Um, I have a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, most of my stuff is going to be pretty current because I'm always looking at what is the best performing because yeah, it's interesting. Recency bias. I can already, I'm already. I'm well, already well, but gene. here's, here's the interesting thing. So, I mean, here's my comparison. So you buy a luxury watch, right? You buy an automatic watch. You buy this watch and its form is amazing. Its function is awful. Automatic watches, you have to set their time every week because they don't keep time very well, which is their number one point is keeping time. No, you wear it on your watch to show your status, to you know influence others, but it's pure form. It's not function. A golf club, to me, function so outweighs form. It has to perform, and it has to perform at a high level, and it has to perform. And the reason being... Equipment matters in the golf industry. That it's one of the few industries you can get a basketball. It doesn't really matter. You, you know, maybe some hardcore players will talk about the tactile differences between basketballs, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You get a baseball, it doesn't matter. So many sports equipment is very minimized, but in golf, equipment is front and center, and it matters. So, anyways, starting off, the first driver. Hands down, and by the way, these are all personal preferences. These do not represent golf laboratories or any independent testing that I have conducted. So let's uh, let's let's just qualify these statements before they start. Um, hands down, in the last few years, the the you know the most interesting driver I've seen is the Cobra LTDX, and just its sheer uh, forgivability aspect on off center hits. And its performance characteristics. So um, that that would be my number one uh, pick for a driver. Okay, so you're going Cobra LTDX. Boring. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go back go back a while. Let's go back to the Titleist 975D. There's a driver. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know the 975D, just quit listening because you are not a true gearhead. But this was, for me, it has some sentimental value for sure. This was a driver that I used in, in middle school. Um, I, I really feel like the 975D was one of those drivers. You know, Titleist made good irons, but 975D to me feels a lot like TSI. Whereas there's this, you know, and I know some people, the TS was a good driver and that was the beginning of the Titleist Speed Project. But TSI for me was that driver where when they went to that ATI 425 face, it was like, oh, wow, Titleist is now back in that upper echelon of like hot drivers. It looks good that, you know, the looks were never a problem. That was the same way with 975D where this was a driver. Again, Tiger would certainly put this one on the map. Davis Love III was using 975D. Um, he definitely put this driver on the map too. But it was a driver where Titleist all of a sudden started making some really good products, but it really, to me, it started with 975D. That was the one driver that 
that really like, again, there's some nostalgia there for sure. And maybe that's just kind of RB where, you know, rubbing off on me a little bit, but that's the one. If I'm going number one driver, I know I'm going to lose a lot of distance, but that doesn't really matter. 975D for the win. Hey, grandpa, tell me about the war again. Can't wait to hear. <laughs> Here we go. I was waiting for that. Uh, it's like, it's funny how I'm picking the old stuff and Uncle Gene's picking the Whoa, most recent. Anyway, something, all right. something is really wrong in this parallel <laughs> universe we landed in. The youngin, I tested the 975D when you were playing it, what, in diapers or middle school <laughs> or whatever much. it was? It, 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 that driver is a train wreck in comparison to modern drivers. Oh, You'd be like, but I still love it. Oh my God. I think I just spun that at 4,500 and lost 40 yards in distance. Yeah. Go the full go. grooves across the face oh, for yeah. sure. That was, yeah, that go, was what go, 975 go was one of those for. in the bargain bin and see uh, how far you smoke it down. The <laughs> no, I mean, it's free. It's not even Friday, but I feel like it's freaky Friday. We're, <laughs> we're already changing roles. I'm, I'm the old curmudgeon and, <laughs> You're the, uh, you're the, you're the forward thinking youngin. Anyway. All right. Let's go to fairway woods. All right. So fairway woods, I actually am going to go old school on this one. This is my only exception. And the reason is this fairway wood changed the paradigm of fairway woods. Um, it was a massive game changer and it actually transitioned a lot of people to using fairway wood as a driver. And that's the Olimar tri-metal. It was a rocket ship. And I mean, when I was testing, this is pre-launch monitors, we were testing that club and it was shorter and it was going further than drivers. And it was a function of its center of gravity and its loft angle. But it, it really, and I'd love to get one now and just compare it versus the modern, you know, kind of rocket ships. I, it probably wouldn't you know, hold up because this is quite a few years ago, but at the time it really was a game changer and it opened up the, um, the area in the industry of creating driver like fairway woods. Whereas before fairway woods flared more and dropped softly, suddenly you had a driver alternative. So that would be my pick. That's a good one. I did love uh, a good OMR tri-metal. That's a, Solid selection. Actually, as you were talking, I thought you were going to steal my selection because I, I feel like this three wood, this was a, this was a massive game changer for the industry. And I, I definitely, I mean, okay. So advertising, there's always been, you know, the, like the gorilla advertising and the companies out there that have made these massive claims. Um, you know, and, and I think that's kind of part of being in the equipment industry is you're trying to capture an audience. And sometimes the only way to do that is to just make these absurd claims about how far your club can go. But when, when TaylorMade's rocket balls first came out and they were making these claims about how many yards you could gain, you know, some people were gaining 20 plus yards with this three wood and you thought there's no way. There's no way a golf club can be that long and that hot. And that was really the first time that I was, and I was in the industry. I had just, I just entered the industry, um, doing, doing just basically gear. And I remember hitting it and that I like audibly gasped when I saw my numbers. It, it was, it had, I mean, now it's, it's commonplace, but it had the, it had the original, speed pocket 
And that thing was a rocket ship. Uh, you know, and I think that's where a lot of guys started to say, shoot, this thing's so long. I'm terrible with my driver. I'm just going to use this three wood. And I think that's where you started to see a lot of other companies start to say, all right, well, wait, driver technology. Yeah, sure. We're trying to get longer there, but nobody had ever really thought about really trying to push the envelope with the three wood technology. Try metal. I would agree. They did a really good job, but rocket balls for me was the one where again, and there's probably a little bit of like, you know, I remember that time in the industry, but rocket balls was so fast. And it, and it changed the game for so many golfers out there that I feel like it has to be on the list just because of what it did for golf at that time. I, I, I agree with you. It, it was, and it, you know, kind of funny, I'm not going to name Amos here, but we both know him. There was a very famous golf writer who, uh, who told me when that name came out before they had released it, he goes, if this is successful, I'm quitting. The industry. <laughs> and I was like, dude, be careful what you say. Cause at the time it didn't matter for TaylorMade, whatever they put out there. And, you know, they came out with that whole line and sure enough, they, they killed it with it. And yes, that was, that was another step in the evolution of really maximizing, you know, and that was right when the USGA was starting to put some serious limitations on, you know, um, CT levels and COR levels. And so companies started to try to innovate more um, with the fairway wood and, 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 you know, TaylorMade definitely was successful with that. Do you know how they came up? The number I was... Um, I mentioned that they had this incredible number that they had said, if you use this club, you're going to gain X number of yards. That number was 17 yards of distance. Do you know how they came up with that number? Yeah, I remember they, they went back to an older, um, they, they actually referenced. So that was back. I trust me. I was in the middle of those wars half the time, but, um, the, as I recall, they went back to like, it was one or two, uh, versions earlier and I don't even know if it was necessarily a three wood. It was it was something else that they compared it to. But um, and and it, 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 they let's just say the marketing department was a little aggressive in uh, in you know in those claims. Well, and that was the number that the lawyers gave them the okay to right. make in the claim. Yep. Seventeen yards. So yep. they were probably. I, I'd heard that they were seeing more distance, you know, close to twenty. But that was where the lawyers kind of drew the line and said, look. You can make the claim, but it can't be any more than 17 yards, which is just so funny because that's just such a random number. Yeah. I get it. All okay. Right. Next. Hybrid. 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 Um, you uh, kind of teased this earlier. The uh, PXG 0311P Gen 5. Um, just a, a really, really solid state of the art have have not had a chance to hit or work with the gen six so i'm only talking about this like i said personally um but pxg they make a really really good hybrid yeah i i'm gonna go with the adams idea pro it had that great sort of a like a peanut shape to it i think is what they called it and the the Idea Pro had an adjustable weight in the sole, which back then was like almost unheard of for hybrids. 
you know, nowadays you think about adjustability and hybrids, it's, it's fairly common, but that Adams idea pro Adams in general, and I've talked about this on the pod before they had these, they had, I would say at the time the the smartest, one of the smartest R and D staffs out there, but all those guys, the reason why they made such a great product was because all of those guys, all the guys on the R and D staff were scratch. They played with all the prototypes and they would go out and play golf all the time. And you're like, well, when do you ever get work done? Well, they're getting work done on the golf course. And they came with a lot of you know, products that you see a lot of those designs in today's clubs were originally designed by the guys at Adams, but that idea pro Adams made a great hybrid overall. A lot of their hybrids were good, but if I had to pick one idea pro would be my selection. Well, and um, you know, it's interesting cause I thought about it too, giving a nod to Adams cause they basically kind of defined that category and, and, and created sure. it. And, and to be honest, you got to give a little bit of a hat tip to Barney because he made the game. I, I think his was, his contributions to the game were so transformative in the fact that he made the game so much more enjoyable for so many players that were struggling with longer irons and struggling with this. And, you know, he opened up categories the tour players started following. So, you know, it wasn't just amateurs. Uh, I've often said in the evolution of equipment, the hybrid is one of the most significant contributions and hands down. I don't know if we'd be there without, without Barney Adams. So a hundred percent. I mean, you, you look at, I agree. You look at everything he's done. I think the one, the one club that everybody points to is obviously the tight lies. Mm -hmm. I mean that, that golf club changed the industry, but he's, I mean, Barney Adams is, is way more than just tight lies. There's so many, incredible designs that he that his fingerprints are on so yeah i would i would agree but i I think for sure if you're looking at who is the one to really carry the torch and on the hybrid side you would you would have to say it was adams yep agreed all right irons okay so i'm sticking with the same company same brand same model 311 gen 5 in the irons uh personally uh, about as forgiving as they come. And so you stole my thunder originally with, uh, you know, discussing PXG, but, uh, they, they just, they work. I also really, uh, um, you know, I like their approach as far as their customization is concerned as well. And, you know, kind of a fitting only concept. Um, so yeah, got to stick with them, uh, with the hybrids and with the irons. I'm going to go with the title of 731 PM. People are probably rolling their eyes because they've heard me talk about these irons plenty of times on the pod, but it's not just because these were the, the fill designed Titleist irons. This was a, this was a, you know, a forward thinking design. When you look at where irons are today, you think of all the, the blended sets of irons. I mean, manufacturers nowadays, they take that into consideration when they're designing irons, multiple models. They take into consideration the offset and the lofts and, you know, how many golfers are going to be breaking up those two different models and blending a set together. And the 731 PM was already doing that. You know, if you look at that, that setup, it was cavity back long irons that transitioned into sort of a, uh, like a smaller cavity and then slowly transitioned into more of like a blade profile into then full on blades at the bottom of the set. 
And again, this was this was one of the the first like true blended set of irons, but it was a it was a full set with with a lot of the design characteristics that we're all looking for nowadays when we're going to get irons. More forgiveness at the top of the set in the long irons, more workability down in the short iron. So yeah, shout out to Phil and the folks at Titles for creating the 731 PM. But yeah, I love these irons. Had a lot of really good rounds with them, but it's more than just that. It, it is. It's it's like I said, a design that you see today that was really sort of a groundbreaking design when that iron came out years ago. No, and I'll give you that. Anything that that changes the direction of the industry, I think, is significant. And you know, it's interesting because we've talked about the trimetal, we've talked about Adams hybrids, and now we're talking about Titleist blended irons, and and those were now you know. If you don't have any history of, of of golf equipment, you just think that all of those things are, you know, have always been, but they hadn't. And and so, you know, when when a company makes, you know, a um, a design decision to really uh, kind of go off the norm or deviate, you know, it's it's very bold. A lot of times, it doesn't work, but when it works, it's adopted by everybody else in the industry, and that's a classic example of it. All right, wedges. Wedges, I'm going traditional here uh, because I've had a relationship with him that went back to the founder's days. I've known him. Solid, solid guy. And uh, to be honest, um, uh, I look at these. These wedges are one of the few times that my decision is based on form just as much as it is function. I just like the way that they look. And I normally don't give a rat's ass the way a golf club looks because I'm always looking at data. But I'm going with the Vokey SM9s. And I also like all of um, the uh, adjustability um, you know, that, that, that is provided. If you're a real wedge sicko, you've got a lot of options. And so, um, but I just... I have a lot of respect for Bob and um, I have a lot of respect for his contributions in the industry as well. Yeah. For a lot of people out there, they probably don't know that before Bob was a wedge guy, he was working on woods. Oh yeah. He was with founders club and founders club yeah. was uh, Gary Adams company that he started after he left TaylorMade, and, um, and Bob was one of his chief designers. And then he left Bob's story is really interesting. He left very interesting. Founders and went to work for Fenwick Fishing Rods, and they were going to get in the graphite shaft business. He moved to Iowa, set up in Iowa, and they closed down the golf shaft business. Bob was out of a job, came back, and I ran into him at a restaurant as a lot of years ago, and he was just despondent because he had you know, he'd left the industry to go to the startup and they just pulled the plug. And, um, the, the story that I heard is, you know, Wally reached Wally Uline, who was the CEO of Titleist reached out to him and said, we want to make you the face of these wedges, you know, based on your experience and you're, you're working with tour players and, um, you know, created an iconic name and brand that, you know, is up there with um, Cameron. I mean, Titleist has done a great job of creating these kind of, you know, designer icon brands. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's one of the tops. 
Yeah, one of, one of the tops in his in his industry, but also just the top guy. Love, He's a great guy. Ricky. Great, yeah, great guy. guy. So just the um, friendli- friendliest guy. Yeah, he is. I'll keep mine short and sweet. Cleveland 588 RTG. Tiger's wedges that he used to win the 97 Masters. Had these wedges. Love these wedges. Stick them in a vat of Coca-Cola. Rust the ever-living shit out of them. Because it, that matters. <laughs> it does matter. We, we found out that, that, that rusting a wedge, it doesn't really matter. But you know what? Hey, they look cool. They, they, in all honesty, the profile of these is one of my favorite profiles. Very had a very rounded look to it. They just they looked fantastic in the address position, and you can't convince me otherwise. So, yep, five eighty eight RTG. Yes, they were Tiger's wedges from that from that very famous year that he won his first Masters. But yeah, I also have a personal connection to them as well. All right, putter. Okay, so. Uh, I almost feel uncomfortable on this one because I, uh, you know, my dad got me started in this business and, um, he's been in the business and he is the chief designer for this company. So I'm, I'm crossing lines. I normally don't cross, but if you didn't, if you didn't pick this gene, I was going to call (laughs) you out anyway, go ahead. You're, but you're spared. Here's, here's, here's the reason why. So it's the Saks Perini, uh, series 18 cavity sole. And there's, there's two reasons. If, if you look at the Saks Perini line aesthetically, I think there's some of the best looking putters out there. But once again, none of that means anything to me. They also have some of the highest MOIs toe to heel and the greatest amount of tungsten toe to heel. So I usually try to, like I said, separate that firewall. But personally, uh, I love the setup of the Series 18. I love the way it feels. I love the way it looks. And um, it's, it's, it's a solid putter. It is a very solid putter. And if you didn't, if you didn't pick a perennial putter, I would have given you so much shit. Yeah, it, it, it would have, it would have been bad form. Let's definitely put it that way. Agreed. All right, mine. You know, sure, it's it's also Tiger's putter, but this is a putter that for me was the one that really. St- I, I had always loved golf, and then I, I became an absolute like equipment sicko when I got my first Cameron Newport Terrellium. Um, I was one of those guys, you know, I had, I had friends at the time that they didn't take care of their Trillium putters. Cause all those were, were oil can putters. I mean, you had, you had to keep, if you wanted to, if you wanted to keep it in good condition, you had to use the baby oil and the, the Cameron cloth, you know, it came, it came with a cloth where you could keep the putter clean. And I did like, I kept the putter clean. There was a time where I actually jammed the cloth inside the club head cover so it'd make it easier for me to not have to clean it after every round, but I wanted to make sure I kept the rust off it. It was, you know, one of those putters where I'm like, Oh my gosh, uh, how much does this thing cost? And tiger's using it. And I gotta, I gotta keep it looking its best. So yeah, the, the Cameron Newport Terrellium, that Terrellium insert was so soft. And I think about it now, like where I'm at with my game, I hate a, I hate a soft feeling golf ball. And I really do not like a putter with a soft feel. Because to me, it just feels like I I can't get the right feedback coming off the face. And then my distance control is all off. But then I think back to when I was a kid, you know, and you hopefully you you mature and you learn a little bit along the way. And I like to think that I have. But 
Back then, I wanted a Newport Terrellium with a blot of golf ball. I wanted that thing to feel marshmallowy soft. And it was it was impossible for it not to when you were using that golf ball with that putter. So, bonus round. Golf ball. Throw it in. I'm going to start. Pro V1, yeah. hands down. And the main yep. reason... I'm, I'm with you, too. Okay. OG Pro V1, 392? Eh, I don't know. You know, you can, you can pick any of them. Just the fact that you've See, had a... Continu- seam that puppy and send it. Yeah, that that was. I I'll have to tell that story at a later pod. That those were that was an insane period with that. But um, for a brand to last that long, where every other brand comes out and they've got two to three years max, and then they've got to change the name on their golf ball. It it's just and uh, every other golf ball has done a really good job catching up to them over the years, but yet they still you know, performance wise are, are still the gold standard. Yeah. They're still the gold standard. So it's just, you know, kind of hat tip to, um, Titleist on that for maintaining that brand to the point that the patents ran out and they still, you know, are, are maintaining that brand. So I have a quick question. If, uh, RB was here, do you think that there'd be a club any club in the last 10 years that he would actually pick, or do you think it would uh, all be OG stuff? That's a good question. I would say yes. I think he would probably think there'd probably be a driver of fairway wood from the last 10 years. Um, If he didn't have at least a couple of Mizuno products in his, in his club draft, we'll have to, we'll have to ask and get his, get his take when he comes back next week. Cause you know, you know, he's going to go off the board, right? And and Oh, he'll pick some obscure ones. There, there's going to be, you know, a Zevo or something like that. You know, he'll he'll pick something really <laughs> obscure just to like really throw us off. Right. But yeah, I, I would have to think there'd be at least one or two from the last 10 years. Everything else will be, you know, 20 plus years old. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, that was fun. And again, we'll get we'll get RB's picks for his club draft when he comes back next week. Uh, again, the reason why we mention the draft is because we have Mr. Justin Herbert. That would be the Los Angeles Chargers gunslinger. He's going to be our interview for this week's pod, wow. which is always kind of cool. You know, I, I love when, when there's cross pollination between golf and another sport. Um, and for those that didn't hear Callaway announced that Justin is their newest golf ambassador. And as part of this deal, he's going to play the clubs. He's going to be in branded content. He's going to be helping out with some new junior golf initiatives, which I think is great. Um, You know, but Gene, for me, anytime I see an athlete from another sport getting involved in the golf space, uh, and more so in getting involved, but becoming a brand ambassador for an equipment company, I think about where we're headed or where I think we're headed. If you look at what's been going on this year, in the equipment space, we now have influencers that are being formally announced as brand ambassadors for, you know, no laying up with Titleist, Good Good with Callaway, Barstool with TaylorMade. Um, and these are these are major announcements that I'm I'm not even announcing, you know, I'm not even mentioning these aren't all the influencers that have been signed. There are other guys that have been signed as well. Then you see, you know. Justin Herbert's not the the first non you know stat pro pro golfer to join the tour staff. You also have Steph Curry, who 
is a brand ambassador for Callaway. And that does make you wonder, like, where are we headed here? It does feel like there's less priority to sign pro golfers. And there's more priority now to, to sign these athletes from other sports that maybe kind of transcend the game and get non-golfers interested in maybe playing golf or picking up a Callaway club. Um, same thing with influencers. I mean, what, what do you think when you hear Justin Herbert is going to be the newest member of Callaway's ambassador staff? Well, I, I, I totally applaud it. And, you know, a little like background and for those not familiar with the Asian markets, like in Japan, uh, Japanese, uh, golf consumer never looks, I shouldn't say never, but the majority don't look at the professional ranks to purchase golf equipment. And they, they look at it and they, they're very knowledgeable about the fact that they're not professionals. So what the professionals are playing is, um, not necessarily what they should be playing. And I've always admired that approach. And I've always thought that the, uh, the, the tour approach is, um, for the average amateur is not the most effective approach because as we've talked about and dissected their swings, their launch conditions, all of the way that they perform on a golf course, it doesn't have any similarity other than putting. And even then it's questionable compared to what we do as mere mortals. And I think when it comes to professional athletes who are humanized by golf, they're no longer these gods. They, you know, I go out to AT&T and watch these guys, you know, shank shots and, you know, top balls and things like that. But also influencers, we're getting into the realm of kind of content that's more relatable to the average user or golfer, and they can relate to their favorite YouTube star or their Instagram influencer or you know, I'm, I'm not on TikTok cause I hear that's crack. So I stay away from that, but it, it's, it's, you, you suddenly find somebody that, that, that fits your personality or that you just simply like, or you like their messaging, but it's, it's more relatable. And I think it's more, it's also a move towards more of the kind of the entertainment aspect of the sport. And, you know, we talked about this before Callaway changed their name to top golf Callaway. There was a, a big reason for that. It's, it's looking at the sport much larger than the professional ranks and how everybody can feed in from all these different angles. And I see it perfectly to be perfectly honest as totally healthy because we're this little indie band, this, the, you know, this influencer over there is this indie band. There's just, there's thousands of indie bands out there right now. And you pick which one you dig on and you're going to get content fed to you. And I, I, I think the, um, the OEMs are really, really smart in maximizing their voice with a lot. It's, it used to be advertised on CBS or NBC. That was it. And it was on the weekends that, you, you know, or <laughs> let's face it in golf digest or golf magazine. Those were the four kind of outlets. Now you, you can advertise virtually anywhere. And, and these influencers are extensions. The tree is branched out in so many different directions. And, uh, I see it as totally healthy. There was a great article I read in Axios yesterday 
that midweek golf is at an all-time high participation. And the reason is everybody's gone to this flex schedule now where you don't go to the office. And so people knock out their work in the ap- in the morning and Wednesday afternoons are now through the charts. And we've talked about it. There's the participation level hasn't dropped to pre-pandemic levels. It's staying there. And I see all of these different avenues as just feeding the beast, which obviously we've got, you know, uh, uh, an interest in, but I'm also supportive of it because I think it's a great game and, and you don't have to get your news or your information from the traditional sources. I'm all about, you know, kind of, um, keeping it interesting and keeping it dynamic. And I, that's the way that I see the evolution right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I, I look at, um, somebody like a Justin Herbert and the microphone that he has, I'm not saying that there's like a full on changing of the guard for equipment companies in terms of how they prioritize, whether they sign, you know, pro athletes from other sports and influencers versus tour staffers. But I think if they're smart, they recognize how big the microphone is for a guy like a Justin Herbert and, and how much that reach can help their brand, but also how much that reach. I mean, if you look at what Steph Curry has done, um, you know, I think it was, I think it was the, it was the Howard golf team that he, uh, that he helped support in Callaway, uh, got them all kitted up with gear. You know, he's got the the undefeated, which is, you know, a, a tour that's helping out, uh, you know, underprivileged youth. I, you know, I look at what he does and the fact that Callaway gets to help out there in the reach that something like that has versus, you know, signing another tour pro, uh, you know, no offense to tour pros because, you know, I, I spent, you know, six years covering equipment for the PGA tour. You know, I still cover equipment for, for golf magazine and golf.com and what the pros do, the changes that they make is, you know, that's still important, but I also have to look at the bigger picture here of, you know, these brands are in the business to, to one sell golf clubs, but two, to, to try and do some other things that are going to help better the game. And I think, you know, when you see that Justin Herbert has an interest in, in, you know, expanding his reach in the junior golf areas, you know, I think that's where, if you look at the game of golf, as you mentioned, it's never been in a better spot. And you then say, well, what can we do to make it better? And I think that's where you have to look at, you know, the junior game, that's your future right there. And if you can use these pro athletes from other sports, the Steph Curry's and the Justin Herbert's to help, you know, get that message out to the future of the game, you do that. And I think that's what Callaway's doing. And, and look, more power to him. The same way with like good, good. <laughs> Who's watching these videos? Junior golfers, juniors, kids. And I think that's where you're trying to, you're trying to capture that audience. You know, you're trying to do it in, in a smart way. And I think that's why they see the value in influencers and pro athletes from other sports. You know, it, it's really interesting. Um, I've been watching the uh, NBA playoffs with my son every night, and uh, and I can't remember who the player was, but he had a great quote. He said when he was a rookie and he came in, one of the assistant coaches sat him down and said, all right, you've got potential. You could be a star in this league, but here's what you need to know. You need to leave this league in a better place than you joined it. And, um, 
And it's been this like mantra of the NBA to always propel the league forward. And what, what was interesting when you were talking about that and bringing that up is I started thinking about it. And to be honest, I don't know if that's been the mantra of the PGA or PGA players. I don't know if they necessarily, you know, Tiger was iconic, but Tiger was Tiger. But I don't know if the average pro goes in and goes, I want to leave the game better than, than when I started, or if there's a mindset of that. But what you described in all those initiatives is kind of a groundswell or an or an or an organic version of that. And I, I, I think that is really healthy. And I think that probably that needs to be accentuated and focused more on, because if we all collectively try to leave the game in a better spot than when we joined it, we're going to leave a legacy of something that's much healthier. And let's face it at the end of the day, the thing that I love about golf is you get outside and so many of us, I mean, we're on a podcast right now talking into microphones, but when you're playing golf, you're outside and you're, you're experiencing life and you're challenging yourself. And, you know, if we can contribute in any way, or all of these people, influencers can to make this game better than when we joined it. Uh, I think, I think, you know, we, we could have a legacy that we could be proud of. Yeah. I think it's a good place to, to put a bow on that topic. And again, if you want to hang around for this week's interview with Justin Herbert, it'll be, uh, I'd say we got one more topic. So give, give us another 10 minutes or so, and then we'll, we'll get to Justin. But anyway, all right. Last topic for, for this week's pod. I want to close it out with, with a guy who, you know, if you think about the, like the equipment blue bloods, as I like to call them, you know, the, the traditionalists, it, you don't you don't see a lot of them stirring the pot all that much but then this guy this one guy came into the industry in 2016 that'd be bob parsons um you know bob is uh you know bob was was in the the u.s marine corps he's a, a purple heart recipient he was in uh had, did a tour in vietnam and you know, an incredible guy, you know, I've gotten a chance to, to know Bob a little bit over the years and, and just play golf, even just the two of us. And he's, you know, I think people see Bob Parsons on TV in the commercials. And I think that's like the persona. That's not the persona. Like that's just Bob being Bob when the can't, when the lights are on. But, you know, one of the things that I do appreciate about him is he is never afraid to speak his mind. Uh, case in point, a recent, interview that Esquire just published. And, you know, of course we could go through this whole interview. It's, it's just Bob kind of letting it rip. And that's, that's no big surprise. But the one part for me, Gene, that really stood out was something that we haven't heard a lot from the other manufacturers on. And that is Live Golf. You know, when, when Live started last year, we've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. We wondered, you know, what would happen to those pros that affected to Live that were still under contract for their equipment. And for the most part, some of those deals have quietly, you know, dissolved and there hasn't been any renewals. There are still some pretty big deals out there. I mean, you look at Brooks Kepka signed with Cleveland Shrixon, and then he moved to live pretty, pretty shortly thereafter signing that deal. Um, you know, he's still sporting a Shrixon bag. He still has the Nike hat and Nike swoosh on his shirt. But you really haven't heard anything from the manufacturers on on their feelings when it comes to live golf. And 
You know, we, we haven't seen a lot of them send a ton of support to the live tour as far as reps. You know, I know some of the manufacturers are sending a few reps out there to help those guys, but it's not like the PGA tour when a tour pro who has an affiliation with an OEM, when he wins on live, you never see anything on social media. When that happens on the PGA tour, it's a big deal. And I think everybody's naturally they're cagey and, but Bob is the first one to really draw a, a defined line in the sand for a major OEM and he came out in the the Esquire article and they they asked him, you know, point blank, like, what's what are your feelings on on the Live Tour? And and he, you know, he admitted, look, you know, Live is one of those things where it's there is no gray area. It's it's very black and white for him. And he doesn't see a time ever, you know, that he's going to he's going to sign a guy that's playing on the live tour. And he pointed to the fact that, you know, he said he was quoted as he said, we've had some guys that had contracts that went to the live tour and I honored the contracts. But now that the contracts are up, I have no contract with them. And I don't think they can contract with sponsors with the live tour. At least, I don't know. I could be speaking out of school, but if I had an opportunity to come up and do it, I wouldn't. Meaning if he had a chance to sign somebody, he would not do it. Um, you, you know, and I, I think, you know, some people and and obviously look I'm I'm in the the media industry you know you see a headline like that you're going to write about it but you got to respect the guy Gene the the fact that when he was asked point blank you know what are your feelings on live would you sign guys or do you have any pros that are on live he admitted look we did we had guys that were still under contract but we're not re-signing those guys and in the future I'm not going to be signing any guys because I don't believe in and live. I think he, he strongly, you know, again, he mentioned 9-11 and, you know, it is a Saudi-backed league and that's why he's not going to be pursuing any of those guys. But you got to, again, in my opinion, you got to respect him for for being open and honest when asked that question. Oh, 100%. And, you know, so first off, in regard to Bob, you know, I, and I just got a chance to meet him for the first time a couple months ago, and uh, it was it was a real pleasure, and I got to share it with him. I mean, background: he bought a robot for me before he had a name for his golf club company. So um, Brad Schweigert and Mike Nicolette, who was was the head of R and D and the top designer of Ping, he hired them, and they bought a robot. They didn't have, they didn't have an entity or anything. They, and, but they, they were tasked with, and he talks about it in the article. If you could build the best golf clubs period where cost was not an issue, what would you do? And that was their blueprint. Um, the thing that I've always, always been impressed with him about is just simply he's a disruptor and he started with, and I, I'll be honest, I was one of the first ones. I was like, no one's going to pay that amount of golf money for golf equipment. You know, that that happened in Asia, but it wasn't going to happen here. So he completely disrupted the industry the first time around. And then he disrupted the industry the second time around by having a direct-to-consumer approach and this fitting approach. And I, I, I just have respect for people that are willing to take risks. In relation to his comments politically, I was really fascinated by them on a number of, of different uh, for a number of different reasons. One, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this, he provides incredible discounts of his golf equipment to uh, current U.S. military veterans, 
police officers, first responders. He is incredibly loyal to those who serve, and he has a profound appreciation for um, those people that literally lay their lines on the line. And to me, my interpretation of this was, and he even kind of said it, it was more visceral than anything that, you know, he remembered those who perished and felt, you know, I, I, and I'm just, this is my interpretation, but to, you know, to support live is, is to disrespect those that were willing to lay their lives down, which is, you know, admirable, but he goes on in the interval in interview you think at this point, okay, he's conservative, he's you know patriotic. And then he goes on to say Obama was his favorite president. So I, I, I said that I, he plays Obama plays his golf club. Yes, and Obama plays PXG. It, it just it was a very nuanced view of Bob. But what I took away from it more than anything else was the man truly loves this country and he truly loves this country in almost an apolitical way, which is, I mean, I know this is an equipment podcast, but it's so rare these days. It, it just, it, I, I, I had an even greater respect for him by the end because you could see that it, his, his, his morals, his, his ethics, they were true to one thing, and that was the country, regardless of political divide. And if he felt something was being true to the country or not true to the country, that's what you know caused him to either support or criticize. So yeah, it was if anyone you know hasn't read it, it's in Esquire and it is uh it's a really interesting and insightful piece. Yeah, certainly should go read it. Do you think Bob's comments? give any of the OEMs a little bit of a, a shot in the arm to maybe come out and say anything, or do you think everybody just stays quiet? I, I think Bob is, um, Bob's an outlier. I think like, I think you too. know, um, in that he, he does speak his mind. Most of these companies, and I understand why, especially in this political climate, everyone's so risk averse. It's like, what controversy? I don't see controversy. I mean, you know, it's like one day Dustin Johnson's on the, uh, you know, front of a new launch of TaylorMade products. The next he's not, the next he's back. And it's like, ah, you know, everyone is in, in business is so risk averse to offending, uh, you know, look at Bud Light. I mean, it's just, you know, everybody, nobody knows where to go and, and, and what to do. So, uh, that's what makes Bob unique. And I really respect him for that and, and for stating how he feels and, and being true to it. But when you're a publicly traded company, you know, like Callaway, you, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, it's just, you've got to, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be more buttoned up. And I, and to be honest, I respect that as well. I mean, you know, but it's, it's, it's great. We get to talk about it and it's fascinating to get an insight into someone who's iconic in our industry, but also to see a very nuanced approach to politics and geopolitics. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great read. And this is a golf podcast. <laughs> you never thought you'd get that on this one. That's uh, what, that's what so, happens when you get two yeah. rummies to get to captain the pirate ship for an hour. Yeah, we didn't, go sideways. Rudderless pirate ship. We, we didn't burn into the ground, at least not yet. <laughs> we got close. Um, anyway. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this week's topics. As I mentioned, I had a chance to chat with Los Angeles Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert, 
about his new brand ambassador deal with Callaway, some of his memories growing up about golf, and everything in between. Enjoy it. All right, well, it's not often that I get a chance to talk golf gear with one of the NFL's best and brightest. So you know I'm pumped for today's interview. I want to welcome Los Angeles Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert, and the newest Callaway brand ambassador to the pod. Justin, thanks for hopping on, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So first, I got to start I got to start things off with a football question. With the NFL draft coming up, I'm sure it takes you back to 2020 when you were drafted. What is your favorite memory from that day? Yeah, what a what an interesting time that we were in during that time, especially sure. during 2020. And um, I just remember, you know, my immediate family was there. Uh, a couple buddies are in the background, and and just being able to spend that time um, at home, especially, you know, and, and it kind of gets lost in the draft where you have to go to that city and you have to go to to all these things. But to be able to spend that with my family, um, especially in that moment, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, for sure. So, how much golf are were you playing before you were drafted? And how much golf are you playing now? Well, I kind of grew up playing golf just with my older brother and my dad, just for fun and, and hanging out. But uh, it wasn't so serious. And, and now after college and now that I've got more time in the offseason, um, you know, my golf game has definitely picked it up. Unfortunately, rehabbing a, uh, a shoulder injury, so I haven't been able to play this offseason. But as soon as I'm back, um, I'm hitting the golf course. I mean, how much is that, is that golf bug? starting to get to you with not being able to play right now. I'm I'm sure you're, you're probably itching to get out there. It's incredibly tough. Um, you know, we ended up uh, a couple of buddies of mine and I, uh, went to the Augusta to watch the masters a few weeks ago and just being there, being in that, you know, that setting, it just makes you want to play golf all that more. Um, so it was definitely tough being able to be, be there and and having to watch, but, uh, we'll get back soon enough. Was that your first time at Augusta? It was actually my third time. Um, I've I've been uh, very fortunate uh, to have gone three times. Okay. Have you ever had a chance to play? No, not yet. Still working on that. I would imagine is, is that your bucket list golf course? Uh, it's gotta be, that is, is, you know, one of those courses that you, you grow up watching, whether it's in video games or whether it's watching the masters. Um, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you were recently announced as Callaway's newest brand ambassador, but I want to know how this deal came about. When did, when did the first dialogue start with Callaway and what drew you into this partnership? Yeah. So I had actually been playing Callaway clubs, irons and and drivers before uh, this relationship started. So I I feel like it was pretty genuine and authentic. And um, I remember working a uh, Nickelodeon event um, a few years ago that was kind of sponsored by Callaway. And so I think that's kind of how the conversation started and, um, you know, kind of understood that, you know, our, our paths are kind of aligned and, uh, you know, we share a lot of common goals. So being able to work with them was, was really genuine, authentic, and, um, it's been, it's been great so far. I believe John Rahm was at that event. Did, do you ever, when you're around pro golfers, do you ever try and pick their brain and, and try and glean anything that might help your own game? I wish that I was able to, to get more from him. Uh, the Nickelodeon challenge that we, we kind of went through wasn't, uh, true golf. Um, you know, I think we were wearing a SpongeBob, um, outfit and the clubs were kind of wacky. So it wasn't a true round of golf. I wish <laughs> I would have been able to pick up more from him, but just being around him and, um, you know, seeing how he attacks everything, uh, it was a really cool experience. One of the things that stood out to me from the announcement is that you want to do more in the junior golf space, which I, I can always appreciate. I know there's another Callaway brand ambassador, Steph Curry, who's doing a lot for uh, 
underprivileged golfers and junior golfers as well in this space. What do you want to accomplish on the junior golf side now that you kind of have a, a larger microphone as a Callaway brand ambassador? I think it's all about getting the right audience and, you know, and, and making golf accessible for everyone. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate enough to, to have grown up being able to play golf, um, but not everyone has been and, and not everyone is. And, you know, I think that's something that we can continue to work on and, and kind of broaden, you know, who golf is for. And, and if you get that bigger audience, um, you know, I think everyone's able to enjoy it, learn from it, um, because there are a lot of values and lessons that you're able to learn from golf that you might not learn from everywhere else. I know you mentioned growing up around the game. Did you? In, you mentioned maybe not being it being super competitive. Did you play in any go- junior golf tournaments as a kid? No, I didn't play in in any events. It was more so of just you know going with my buddies and, and my family, hanging out and having fun. Yeah. All right. So, did you have you had a chance to go to the Ely Callaway Performance Center? I mean, you're you're a West Coast guy, so I gotta imagine it's a pretty quick trip over there. But have you had a chance to go get fit at the at the Performance Center? Yep, a couple of times, and and every time they're uh, willing to to let me sneak <laughs> by, uh, I do. So it's an awesome facility. It, it's got to be, especially for you know, now that I know that you've really caught the golf bug, it's got to be like a kid in a candy store moment, like going to that place in in all the gear. With the first time that you went, was it a little overwhelming? Just all <laughs> the equipment that you kind of have at your disposal to try. Yeah, it's incredible. I you know I kind of felt bad just because all the stuff that they were giving me, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I put it to good use and, and I wasn't wasting it out on the golf course. Um, yeah. but no, the, just the, the types of clubs, everything, all the technology that they have to be able to fit you for, you know, what you need as a golfer. Um, I was amazed and I'm still continuing to learn about all the things that kind of affect your swing, affect your club. Um, and so the more, you know, you know, it, just being a part of Callaway and being around that facility, you learn so much more about your game. Had you ever been, professionally fit by a custom fitter before that experience um i had a couple fittings but it was nothing quite like what i did at callaway um you know just the level of professionalism that callaway has and and all the data technology that they rely on um you know i felt better knowing what i was swinging and, and why i was swinging it afterwards yeah when you go to a place like ECPC to, to test everything. Do you like to test all the gear or do you just sort of let the fitter take the wheel and lead you where you need to go for your gear? Um, that's a great question. I think heading into it, um, I kind of understand that, you know, as a, not a great golfer, you let the professionals take over and you let them say, Hey, this is what I think you should swing. And, um, you know, I'm willing to try just about anything, but, uh, if they got a good feeling for what I should swing, um, I, you know, I'm all ears for that. What, what's the one club that you've put in the bag that's truly blown you away or maybe one that was a problem club for you that, that you've been able to fix since you got fit at Callaway? Yeah, it's the rogue driver. Um, I, I had swung that for the, the past year and, and before that I never really used my driver. I was kind of worried about, you know, getting up to the tee box and, and putting it out of bounds, but, uh, I went and got fitted and they met, they made that thing so easily hittable for me that I, that I keep it straight for the most part. And, um, having that and being able to add that to my game has definitely helped uh, me shoot lower scores. Um, and it's given me the confidence to be able to, to bring out driver on the tee box. Do you fiddle around at all with the settings or once it's kind of in place, you just leave it be? I've tried a little bit, but, uh, it doesn't seem to have helped me. I don't know quite what I'm doing, you know, when I <laughs> change those settings. So, um, you know, I kind of leave it the way they made it for me. Um, and if I ever go back, you know, I'll, I'll ask more questions about it, but, uh, 
it's been pretty good to me so far. So I've stuck with it. So we preach the importance of, of getting custom fit for your gear on this podcast. And I'm sure you've seen the improvements of how much better, like, can you give me a number of how much better you've gotten since you have been custom fit for your Callaway clubs? I think it's at least five strokes. Um, you know, the not great golfer that I am, it, it ranges anywhere from, you know, high eighties to, to low eighties. And, um, just being able to, to be more consistent off the tee box and, and having irons and, and wedges that I trust and I know I can go to, um, yeah. you know, I think just that part mentally is, is helped a ton as well. You know, custom stamping is, is such a big thing now. I think about, and you were out of guesses, you probably saw it, but guys have custom stamping all over their wedges. Do you add any sort of personalization to your Callaway clubs? Um, I'd have to look. I, I think I might have my initials on my wedges. Um, but other than that, nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. Uh, favorite course that you've played? Um, it would be Pebble Beach or Spyglass. Uh, I went up there with a couple buddies, um, had played it in the video game, seen it on TV. Um, so going there was, was always a dream of mine. Best golfer on the chargers and how many shots are you getting? Um, I've heard great things about Josh Harris, our long snapper. Um, I have not been able to golf with him. Um, but I've heard, you know, he's a high seventies guy with the ability to go pretty low in the seventies. So, um, I would need at least five to 10 strokes. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll see if he'd actually give you that. Have you played golf with any of the guys on the team? Yeah, a bunch actually. Uh, you know, the previous year where, um, you know, Keenan, uh, Keenan Allen's a, a great golfer. He hits the ball a mile. Um, Easton stick, our, our backup quarterback, he, he plays a lot too, um, and, you know, I think anytime you're able to get out on the golf course with those guys, you get to know them better. You feel more comfortable on the field. Um, and I think that just helps um, as a team as well. It feels like in, in all professional sports right now, golf is like that thing that, that all the guys do. Like just a great opportunity to get out on the golf course. Like you said, hang out, uh, decompress a little bit. Is, is that sort of what, what you guys like to do in your downtime if you're going to go hang out together is, is go to the golf course? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. And I, I think during OTAs where you're lifting and you're meeting in the morning and then you've got that afternoon off, a, a lot of the guys go out and play golf. And it's a great way to spend your afternoon um, being with your teammates, being with your guys um, and spending this off-season type you know, time with each other. And uh, there's a lot of great courses down here in, in Orange County. And so I, I'm sure a lot of the guys have taken advantage of that so far. How many of those courses are, are you getting out to? Um, usually be pretty easy for you. Yeah, there's a, there's a few. It's <laughs> Strawberry Farms, Oak Creek, um, just some courses that are nearby that, um, you know, they've done a great job of taking care of us. And we go out there and, and play and um, they, they do a great job of taking care of those courses as well. Last question for you. Um, you mentioned your driver being one of your favorite clubs, but remove that one from the equation. What what else in your bag right now would you say is your is your MVP? I would think it's uh, the eight iron. I think that's the the perfect club. Where I love it. I love that you pick a specific iron, Justin. <laughs> if I, I could lower, um, you know, I could I could hit it low. I can I can raise it up. I can and I can kind of play with it. And whether it's fading it or drawing it, um, you know, I feel like it's a club that you can handle pretty well and kind of shape your shots pretty well. So um, being good with that club and, and knowing that you've got a club you can go to in tight situations, especially when there's water out there feel pretty comfortable with it. And I, I, I lied. One more question for you. So going back to your, your new brand ambassador, role, what's, what's the one thing that you're hoping to accomplish 
Uh, I know we talked about junior golf, but what else are you trying to, to accomplish with, with your new role with Callaway? Yeah, I think uh, one of the great things that Callaway did last year with me is um, I host this golf tournament in Eugene, Oregon for Kid Sports, which is a youth sports organization. And um, Callaway was a huge sponsor. They, they provided putters um, and they did all this great stuff for that tournament. Um, unfortunately not hosting it this year because of my shoulder, but, uh, I know as soon as we started back up, Callaway will be there and they, and they've done a great job with that. So looking forward to that. Awesome. Justin rest up, man. So you can get back on the golf course and good luck next season. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks again to Justin for the time. That'll do it for episode 187 of fully equipped. As always, if you want the gear news, check us out on the social channels. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at full equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks all for listening. Our be, we'll be back next week. Thankfully for some of you all, <laughs> we didn't burn it down. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>